preparation. I hesitate to talk about this this morning because my wife knows. (laughs) Whenever I preach, I have to prepare. But we all have to prepare. It's just something people do. It's what we do. We prepare, for example, for Christmas. For 30 days, or sometimes more, we prepare for Christmas. From the day after Thanksgiving until December 24th or 25th, depending if you celebrate on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Some of us prepare from January 1st for a whole year. Show of hands for that one. There's one. I know Debbie, she just is always, oh, this will be a great Christmas present for next year. Yeah, we prepare. We know how to prepare. We prepare by shopping, making a list, shopping, crossing things off, wrapping them up, decorating. We prepare for Christmas by reviewing the menu, making the guest list, cooking ahead of time. We do all kinds of things to prepare for Christmas. But what do we do to prepare for Easter? Some of us color the eggs a few days in advance, maybe a week. We review the guest list, maybe go shopping and get the food ready for whoever might be there. But the lead-up to Easter just doesn't compare to the lead-up to Christmas, does it? I mean, we as a nation turn toward Christmas 30 days ahead of time. And at Easter, we just wake up and go to church. At least many of us do. But Easter is the hinge pin to the kingdom. The hinge pin, that's that little pin in the hinge that the door swings on. Jesus Christ is the door. Scripture flat out says that. Jesus Christ is the door to the kingdom. But Easter is like the hinge pin. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you'll know that for five weeks, uh, through January into February, uh, I looked at the gospel We looked at it together, and we realized that gospel is a big idea. Gospel, let's get rid of the word gospel and just substitute good news, because that's what gospel means, good news. And we saw that the gospel was called several different things, the good news of our God, the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The good news of our salvation. The good news of the kingdom. And it goes on and on and on. 
The good news of the glory of Jesus Christ is one of those things. I said when Pastor Alex first got here in the last of that series that, wow, I could go on for several more weeks, but I'm not going to. I just want to remind us of all those things, the breadth of the gospel, how big it is. I mean, the idea, the good news is all of those things. God is there. God cares about us. God made promises. God kept the promises. Jesus Christ is our Lord. He is our Savior. He died that we might be forgiven our sin. He established a kingdom and invites us to join him in it forever. He has taken up residence in us through his Holy Spirit. The gospel is a big idea. There's plenty of good news in the gospel. Amen. So, what about Easter? What about Easter? Easter is the hinge pin to the kingdom, Jesus Christ, the door. How should we prepare for Easter? I mean, if we were to start looking at Easter as the point at which this good news came to earth, yeah, it might not be a point, it might be a span of time, but if we looked at one specific thing that just highlighted everything about the gospel, we could look at Easter and say, that's it. And if we did that and gained a new perspective on what Easter is all about, we might get the idea that this is really something I should prepare to celebrate. Maybe even more than Christmas. I ought to prepare my heart to celebrate Easter, this hinge pin of the kingdom, which is the one phrase most used in the New Testament when it talks about the gospel, when it talks about the good news. It's the good news of the kingdom. So how can we prepare for Easter? If we were Jewish, we would say Passover. How do we prepare for Passover? Actually, we can take a little advice from the Hebrews. We can take a little advice from the people of the first century who were preparing for Easter, for Passover. Actually, we kind of do that within the church. We call it the Lenten season. It's Lent. Lent is how we prepare for Passover. But what is it all about? It sounds to me so much like some kind of ritualistic thing that people go through. Oh, it's Lent. It's about, you know, giving up a vice for 40 days instead of a lifetime. 
It's about yeah, looking inside and, and seeing what's there. It's about focusing on, well, all those things are true. All those things are true. But what do they mean? How do they touch our life? And how do they really prepare us for Easter? There's a bunch of psalms, and actually we'll be looking at them today. Psalm 120 through 134. It's 15 psalms. These psalms in your Bible probably have a little title above each one called A Song of Ascents. That's not sense like money. It's not sense like sense of smell. It's not sense like, if I think about it, it kind of makes sense to me. No, it's ascent. It's going up. We have a picture here, ascent, the song, accent, yeah. We're going to just imagine that's an S, A S C. Songs of Ascent. There you go. That's the Temple Mount. That's the Temple Mount. And if you look around, it's the highest point for a long, long way. And uh, what happens, if, if, if you're familiar with it, in Deuteronomy 16, God says, there are three feasts. Every year, all of your adult men have to come to Jerusalem to the place where I tell you to sacrifice. There you go, perfect. To the place that I tell you to sacrifice. Three times a year. So, uh, think of all of Israel. At the time of Jesus, we have this story about Jesus' family being in Jerusalem. Now, they lived in Nazareth, but they were at Jerusalem when Jesus was a little kid. And when they went home after Passover or celebration was done, the family went home. They were traveling with relatives, apparently. And a day out, they realized Jesus is missing. Our son is missing. Where is he? So Mary and Joseph turn around, go back to Jerusalem, And they find Jesus in the temple, right there. They find Jesus at the temple talking to the priests and the elders and asking them questions. And they're amazed at the depth of his understanding. I don't know how old he was, three, five, seven, whatever it was. It was too young to be left alone in a big city miles and miles from home. But we see this event. Jesus went to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. And when Jesus became an older person, he became an adult man, started his ministry, we see him time and time again going to Jerusalem with his disciples in order to celebrate. That's because God's law in Deuteronomy 16 said three times a year, all the males go up to the temple. Passover was one of those times. Now, it's kind of important to remember that although it's only the men that were supposed to show up in the temple, that whole families went there together. 
And that's how come Jesus, as a little boy, was left behind by his family with his mother and father there, right? So uh, we can understand that this is a pilgrimage that all of Israel would make three times a year. Now imagine this. The distances can be up to 120 miles. The main mode of transportation was not PACE. It was not the Chicago Transit Authority, for those of us who are old enough to remember that. It was walking. So let me ask you. If you had a three or five or seven-year-old child with you, how long would it take you to walk 90, 100, 120 miles? A long time, right? I mean, sometimes it was a week to get there. A healthy, young, adult male could probably make it in two days. Yeah, right. I don't think so. I, I don't know that I ever could have done that. 90 miles in two days? No. It's got to take at least a week to get there. And then there's Passover. Preparation for Passover. There's a Passover. It takes a week. And it's got to take at least a year. You're gone for a month if you bring your whole family. So there it is. At least a week to get there if you're in the farthest outskirts. Even if it took a whole day, that's a lot of travel. You're only 12, 15 miles away, right? And it's all uphill. It's all uphill. So what do you do when you're traveling? What do we do today when we travel? We get the whole family in the car, right? We start driving to wherever it is we're going to be on vacation, and we start doing what? Singing. What do we sing? 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Exactly right. Exactly right. We start singing 99 bottles, and, and Dad and Mom go, oh, no, 18 more hours of this. <clears throat> so what do you think they used to sing when they were on the road for a week or, or a day? They sang songs. They fortunately had a hymnal, the Book of Psalms, which they carried with them. And along the way, over time, it became a tradition that they would review these 15 psalms. Psalm 120, 121, 122, 123, all the way up to 134. And they would sing these songs together as they went up to Jerusalem. That's why they're called the Songs of Ascent. Because they're going up. And they sing them on the way up. Well, these songs are really important because they are put together in such a way by tradition, not by God necessarily, but by tradition, put together in this group because they bring us in our heads to a place where we are ready to worship. So I want to propose this, that this Easter, which happens to be like five weeks from now, this Easter, I propose that we 
use the songs of ascent as our daily devotionals. Personally, as families, and even as a church. On Sunday mornings from 9.45-ish, or 8.45-ish to 9.45-ish, we pray together right here. So I want to invite you to pray. And what we've been doing is looking at these songs of ascent for the last several weeks. And we've actually been praying through some of them. Today, we touched on all four of what I'm going to show you are themes that I've identified, themes that appear in the songs of ascent. Uh, This might be wrong from some people's perspective, But this is what I see when I look and evaluate and ask God to teach me. The songs of ascent guide us. And actually, I've uh, put an insert into your bulletin. It's got the songs of ascent listed there and some recommendations about what it might be that we can do in our devotions in order to prepare our hearts for Easter, for Passover, for a celebration of the main event. So let's make these our devotions until Easter. Um, I'm going to start with Psalm 120, and I'm going to read Psalm 120, 121, 122. I'm not going to read all 15, I promise. But these three I am going to read because it gives us a sense. So, start with Psalm 120. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshech, for I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate Peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, an ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. (coughs) Pardon me. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The first three of the songs of ascent. To be sung when we start our journey toward Passover. It starts out with me being far removed from the location where God has made his glory dwell, in the temple. God is in the temple on the top of the high mount in Jerusalem, and I am far off in Psalm 120. And I am in the midst of trouble. There are people around me who do not believe or think the same way I think about God, about his kingdom, about God's demands on my life. And so I have to deal with all this. That's how I might have thought if I was a first century Jew. But I'm not. I'm a 20th and 21st century American. So how does this psalm relate to me? This psalm, and in fact these first three psalms, are a little progression about living in the world and moving toward God. Now that I can relate to because I live in a world that does not love God and that's trouble for me. But more than that, There is within me something that resists God. And that's trouble for me as well. And I need to deal with all of that. So what I want to say about these first psalms, psalms, uh, these first songs of ascent, these psalms 120, 121, and 122, is that they point to the reality of sin in the world and in me. They also point to the fact that God is the answer to the problem of the presence of sin. We, being after the resurrection, after Easter, we know what the solution to sin's problem is. The problem of sin is dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And the proof that it is dealt with is Easter, the resurrection, the victory over the death that sin brings. And if we think about these things when we look at the songs of ascent, especially these first three, what we'll focus on, I think, is confession of our own sin and repentance from dead works. 
that means is we just look at the ways that we fall short of who God is and agree with him, tell him, God, this is how I fail. And ask him by the power of your spirit in my life, change me. If we start out there, we start out on the road to Easter, to the presence of the Lord. If we take the next three Psalms, 123, 124, and 125, and look at them in a similar light, what we will discover is that the Lord is merciful and He saves. He takes the problem of sin and its consequences and he deals with it for us. The Lord is merciful and saves. These psalms, these songs of ascent are filled with praise for God. Praise you. You you do this. But they're also filled with petition, asking God. I'm going to read Psalm 123, just as an example. To you I lift up my eyes, you who are enthroned in the heavens. That's praise, that's worship. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, So our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. It's God who resolves the problem of sin for us. Why? Because of who he is. Because of his great love with which he loves us. He does this. And verse 3 in Psalm 123, Be gracious to us, Lord, asking. Be gracious to us. Give us the things we need, the good things we desire but don't deserve because sin dwells in us. Be gracious to us, O Lord. Be gracious to us, for we are greatly filled with contempt. Our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. Now, it's easy to look at this and go, well, they're not filled with their own contempt. They just live in a land that is filled with contempt for God and God's plans and God's people, and they have to deal with it. So it makes sense for them to go to God and say, be gracious to us. But we are on the other side of the cross. We are on the other side of the resurrection. And we know that within us, there is contempt for God. There is contempt for the life that he calls us to lead. Paul states it this way. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. How do I deal with this? I say that it will be good for us if we start with these songs of ascent and look at the first three and recognize that we fall short of God's glory, confess it to God and repent of those dead works, those works that lead to death, but then move on and consider these next three songs of ascent where we recognize that it is God who is the answer for this problem. We beg him to be gracious to us and help us 
to change our lives by living his life in us, which, by the way, is the Colossians verse. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Because we cannot be, we cannot do, we are stuck without Christ in us, the hope of glory. And if you look at that insert, you'll see that there are some recommendations for what to do for like a whole week while looking at these psalms and and praying and relating in devotion to God. Well, there's third and fourth week too. The third set of songs in the Songs of Ascent are Psalms 126 through 129. That's four psalms. Yep, even I can count. Psalm 126 through 129, and they are filled with thanksgiving for God's blessing. Now, pay attention here. As as we're moving along, we started out in the depths. My sin, the sin of my family, the sin of my community, the sin of my nation, and request for God to deal with it. Then we moved morally higher. And we ascended to dependence on God, worship of him, and trust for him to resolve the conflicts for us because we are powerless. As we move on, we are ascending higher morally when we give thanks to God for his goodness and his blessing. Recognizing that you don't give thanks for what you ain't got. He is good. God is good and has, through his son, Jesus Christ, made the way for us to be blessed into his presence, which, by the way, if you remember, is his kingdom. His kingdom. Over a year ago, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. And do we really mean it when we say, Thy kingdom come and go on to express what thy kingdom is. Your will done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're asking for God's presence to do in us what we can't do ourselves, and that's God's kingdom. It has to do with his reign in our hearts, his rule over our life, and the realm in which he is Lord, which is everything. But we can focus on these four psalms, maybe for a week, and prepare ourselves for Passover, for Easter. The last set of the songs of ascent are Psalms 130 through 134. How many is that? Five. There you go. Three, three, four, five. No, that's okay. I had to count it twice. And what we see expressed in these songs is hope in God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We see expressed in these songs hope in God. And we also see the kingdom realized. Understand this. 
when we are marching from the distant portions of Israel toward Jerusalem, specifically up to the Temple Mount, as we are going upward, we are leaving our sin behind. We are moving toward God's holiness. We are walking along this path, repenting of our sin, worshiping God, thanking him for his faithfulness, recognizing his provision. And when we get to the very end of our journey, we buy a lamb and have it sacrificed because that is Passover. When we get there, it's Passover. It's time. It's time to celebrate the fact that God delivered his people from slavery, from bondage, from sin. That he did it by a mighty demonstration of his power in conquering that which enslaved his people. And that he protected his people and led them out past the blood of a lamb spread over the doorposts and the lintel of their homes. It's the blood that protected them. It's the blood that made it possible for... It's the blood that was the hinge pin on which the door swung. On one side of the door is bondage and slavery. On the other side is freedom. And God purchased it and protected his people from judgment by blood of a lamb, which was the celebration every year. One of the reasons why all the adult males in Israel had to come to the temple once a year to remember this, to worship God in this way, and for his awesome works that he has done on our behalf and for his glory. And now we, on the other side of Easter, that is the other side of the resurrection, this one Passover in time, when Jesus was sacrificed as the lamb for us, his blood sprinkled in our heart, and he being the door through which we pass from bondage to sin and death into eternal life. It's this place in history that all of the previous Passovers pointed to and all of the Easter's afterward point back to. And we get to celebrate it on the other side as those who have realized the kingdom already in our lives, for Christ in us is the hope of glory, and who carry the same message to those who have not yet realized that. That's why I pointed at 1 Corinthians at the beginning, I'm sorry, at Colossians 1 in the beginning, because we are all, according to Matthew 28, we are all who Paul was when he wrote these words. I was made a minister of God for your benefit to carry out the preaching of the word of God, the mystery for generations, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's our message. 
That's what we carry. Is God expecting anything from us? We can't save ourselves, but he is expecting something from us. I mean, we know this because there is a parable in Matthew. This parable is about the rich ruler who had many servants, and he went out to do business somewhere. He left with one of his servants ten talents. A talent is an amount of money. It's a lot of money. So he's, here, here's a lot of money, ten times a lot of money. And for you, here's five times a lot of money. And for you, here's a lot of money. And he expected from these servants, as we find out later, when he returned from his trip, to have an increase on his investment. And we're told that that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. This ruler who expected a return on his investment. So it's not a long stretch. It's not a leap for us to recognize that what God has invested in us, Christ, who is in us and is the hope of glory, what he has invested in us, what he has purchased with the blood of Christ, our salvation and his kingdom, he expects an increase on his investment when he comes back to settle accounts. Now, I have to leave it there. I just have to leave it there because it's actually Pastor Alex who is talking about the provision that God has made in order to do in us the things that result in increase in his kingdom. So you're just going to have to wait for that. That's the teaser. Come back next week, folks. But in the meantime, I think that we can be prepared. We can be prepared for it. And I think it's just God's timing that all of this works this way, that by Easter we will have a really good idea of what that means for us. And it's just an awesome time for us to prepare to prepare our hearts to receive what God is going to do. So I want to challenge you. Is there application for today? Yeah. The application is make those four weeks of devotion a part of your life. And expect God to do his part. And ask him to do his part and pay attention to when he does do his part and praise him when it's done. And walk into the temple with your sacrifice made through the blood of Jesus Christ and walk out again in the kingdom.